to everyone and welcome to GBB Live. And yes, I can certainly confirm, my name is not Parker Fleming. My name is Sean Coleman and it is a pleasure to be with you here on this edition of GBB Live. This isn't a GB, GBB Live bonus episode. The great Parker Fleming, and deservedly so, is getting a week off and so I am, am gladly filling in. Glad to be back in the saddle when it comes to podcasting about all of our beloved Memphis Grizzlies. Of course, my name is Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSAC on Twitter, wherever you are and wherever you are listening. Hope that you are having a fantastic Friday and start to your weekend. Of course, as a part of the GBB Live podcast network, you can find GBB Live, the Starting Five podcast, the Grizzly Bear Bets podcast, the Core Four podcast, and the Grizz Next Gen and the Next Gen podcast, all at grizzlybearblues.com. Anywhere that you'd like to listen to podcasts for free, at SBN Grizzlies across all forms of social media, free on all podcast platforms. Wherever you choose to listen, that's where we'll be for free. Just hit that subscribe button, and I'm telling you this: you're gonna get content nearly every single day. That's the great feature about the GBB Live po- or the GBB Podcast Network. Just make sure. You hit that subscribe button. Again, it's great to be back in the saddle talking about Grizzlies basketball, even though it's not the best of times for the Grizzlies, right? It's not the best of times. And it's crazy how much things can change in a week. Let's let's rewind the clock back a week ago, right? The Grizzlies a week ago, last Friday at this time, a lot of excitement in the air, 11 straight wins. The Grizzlies starting a tough West Coast road trip, but hoping to make franchise history, getting their 12th straight win in a row in L.A. against LeBron and the Lakers. John Morant about to eclipse 5,000 points. Could do it in L.A. where he's had plenty of success. So it was an exciting time. I, I pointed it out myself. It had the chance to be one of the best, more memorable regular season games in Grizzlies franchise history. And it just was not meant to be, unfortunately. A lot of craziness ensued during the game. You can read about it. You know, it's been talked about plenty with all the stuff with Shannon Sharper, things like that. You know, that's 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 under the rug now. But the Grizzlies lost to the Lakers on a last-second play by Dennis Schroeder, who had an excellent game. The Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, they did their job against LeBron James. It's just that Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder went off. But the big storyline, of course, was the Grizzlies did not hit their free throws, and they lost by two. So, hey, what, you know, we're thinking, you know, last Saturday, we're thinking, hey, it happens. Disappointing loss. Sad to see we didn't get the franchise record. Let's bounce back. But unfortunately, the Grizzlies haven't bounced back since. A week later, the Grizzlies have now dropped four games in a row. And if it seems like that the sky is falling a bit, it's because we haven't experienced this in a while. The last time the Grizzlies lost four straight games 
was February 2nd and through the 8th of 2001. That's correct. The last time that the Grizzlies lost four straight games, Desmond Bain hadn't even played half an NBA season. John Morant was in his second NBA season. Crazy to think it's been that long. And that's a compliment to the Grizzlies with how consistent they've been, right? It's a compliment with how good they've been over the past couple of years that they've consistently put together wins. But unfortunately, right now, it's less than ideal. Things things aren't, you know, they're just not going the Grizzlies' right way at the moment. Now, a lot of that is within the Grizzlies' control, and we'll discuss that in a moment. But four in a row, and one of the biggest things about this four-game losing streak is that you can take a lot of different perspectives when it comes to this four-game losing streak for the Grizzlies. One perspective certainly is this. The Grizzlies could easily be 3-1 and one over their last four games had they simply hit free throws at the league average rate. Against the Lakers, the Suns, and the Warriors, the Grizzlies lost by a combined five points. Had plenty of opportunity to win all three of those games. Sacramento, it's just one of those games that you weren't going to win from the start, even though the Grizzlies did come back in the third quarter. But as hot as Sacramento was, they likely were going to beat any team in the NBA that night. Those games happened. But it's both a bittersweet positive that, hey, all you got to do is hit extra free throws for you to be able to win these games. But it also is a bit disappointing because we've been talking for years about the fact that the Grizzlies need to hit more free throws. And that if they would, they would win even more games than the impressive rate that they do right now. There definitely has been some players who have stood out for good reason. Santi Aldama continues to play well. Jaw continues to be Jaw. Desmond Bain has gotten back to his normal self. Unfortunately, on Wednesday night, Zaire Williams had a, had a less than ideal night. He had a disappointing night. But he's been playing better as of late. As a roster, the Grizzlies aren't necessarily playing that bad. It's just that those little swing moments in these games just are not going their way along with the fact that they're not taking advantage of their opportunities at the free throw line. So my point is, is that you can look at this four-game losing streak in several different perspectives, but things need to remain in context, right? Just because the Grizzlies have lost four straight games, it doesn't mean that they're frauds. It doesn't mean that they're not contenders. It doesn't mean that decisions that were made in the offseason are now all of a sudden completely wrong decisions. A four-game losing streak at the end of January does not completely unravel all the momentum that's been there previously. But on the flip side, you shouldn't just ignore what's going on, right? It, it, it shouldn't. It's not that what's going on is not relevant. It's just that it needs to remain in context. And for me, the perspective that I choose to take is broadening the scope a little bit when it comes to the context of this four-game winning streak. Because even though it's been nearly two years since the Grizzlies lost four straight games, I'm here to tell you that the month of January for the Grizzlies is actually a bit of deja vu from what they experienced in December. It absolutely is. 
Consider this. Talked about it on Twitter a bit yesterday afternoon, which would have been Thursday afternoon. The Grizzlies over their past 27 games are 19-8. and eight. That's good. That's very good. If you were to expand that out, winning 19 of 27 games, 27 times 3 is 81, that means that you're potentially 30 games above 500 at the end of the season. So the Grizzlies have won at an at a very impressive clip. But things get a bit interesting when you break down how the wins and losses have happened over that 27-game stretch. And this covers from December 2nd till now. So basically all of December and January. The way that those 27 games break down is that the first seven games of that 27-game stretch, the Grizzlies were 7-0. The next five, the Grizzlies lost four out of five. The next 11, the Grizzlies were undefeated, winning 11 in a row, tying a franchise record. And then the last four, the Grizzlies are 0-4. So again, over the past 27 games, the Grizzlies went on a seven-game winning streak, lost four out of their five, won 11 straight, and now have lost four straight. So why is that significant? Well, one, it shows that January very much is playing out like December is. In both of those months, the Grizzlies had a pretty manageable, pretty easy, no disrespect to any of the teams that they played, but they had a pretty easy stretch in both early to mid-December and early to mid-January, and they absolutely dominated. They took care of business. They acted like a contender should. And they consistently beat teams that they were better than. That's a positive. And they did it in ways that were definitely encouraging. They were able to be able to find ways to win without Desmond Bain in that seven-game winning streak in December. And then, in January, the 11-game winning streak was the result of them finally being able to have their roster healthy and also defending the three really well. But I'm here to tell you that the Grizzlies were helped out a bit by the competition that they played. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from their success. I'm just trying to be observant and realistic as to why they were successful. They took advantage of the fact, like for instance, over the 11-game winning streak in December where I and others talked about, during that time span, the Grizzlies were number one in the NBA defending the three. Well, yes, It was good that they defended the three well, but part of the reason why they were so good at defending the three during their 11-game win streak is because they played some of the worst shooting three-point teams in the league. It's not wrong to point that out. You're not taking away from the Grizzlies' success. You're just putting context on why they were successful. But when we talk about this four-game losing streak and, and why it's significant, to me it's because of the fact that we're seeing the same thing play out during this four-game winning streak that we saw play out around Christmas time. Over the past 27 games, the eight times that the Grizzlies have lost over that time frame, it's been to OKC, Denver, Golden State, and Phoenix in that that four losses and five-game stretch at the end of December. And then our last four games, We've lost to LA, we've lost or to the Lakers, we've lost to Phoenix, we've lost to Sacramento, 
and we've lost to Golden State. Now, the first loss of each of those stretches were just an odd situation. That loss in OKC was a humbling loss, but it also was the loss in which John Morant was thrown out unexpectedly, you know, before Christmas. The game against the Lakers, a lot of craziness going on, just some lack of awareness at the end. It didn't work out, so we lost that game. But the other six games, the trait among the teams that we lost to in those other six games, that's what really stands out. Two losses to Golden State, two losses to Phoenix, a loss to Sacramento, and a loss to Denver. And five of those six games were on the road. What do all those losses have in common? Those are four of the eight teams that are the top eight in three-point percentage in the NBA. That's why it's significant. And when we break down where the Grizzlies are struggling, where they must improve before the playoffs to really go where they want to go, to really be a true contender, They have to improve their free throw shooting and they have to improve their three-point production. Not only shooting the three, but also their three-point defense. I've talked about it before. The Grizzlies remain one of the five worst teams defending the three in road games in the NBA. But here's where you take it an extra step. Is that sure, most teams are going to struggle against one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league. But if the Grizzlies are going to consistently struggle, you know, for instance, over you know the past few games as competition has gotten better, they've let the Cavaliers shoot better than 40%. The Suns shot well from three. Sacramento was unbelievable from three. Golden State shot well from three. If the Grizzlies are going to let these better teams shoot well from three, well, then the Grizzlies are going to have to find a way to overcome that three-point differential. And they have a couple of avenues that they can do it. One of the ways they excel at, especially with Steven Adams being on the court, hopefully the big fellow will heal soon and we'll be able to see it again. But if the Grizzlies are going to struggle shooting the three and defending the three, they have avenues they can take to still overcome that to win games. And one they're excellent at, which is offensive rebounds and extra possessions. But the other one is what really stands out in these losses, and that's the free throw shooting. Now, I'm maybe stating the obvious here. I'm, I'm, you know, not, you know, revealing anything that anybody doesn't already know. We talked for years about how the potential, about how the Achilles heel of this roster and potential fatal flaw, it points to two areas. Free throw shooting and three-point production. That hasn't changed. But a couple of perspectives about that, I think, are relevant to discuss because, because... Against these quality three-point shooting teams, if the Grizzlies are going to struggle stopping them, but they're also going to struggle shooting free throws, the Grizzlies are just in a bad spot. That's where their two clear weaknesses, unfortunately, are a cause and effect situation. The cause is is that because they struggle defending the three, they're going to have to make up that differential elsewhere. And one of the easiest ways to do that is is the free throws. So that put, so the effect is putting more value, putting more, you know, more importance on them hitting free throws. And unfortunately, a lot of times they just don't do it. 
So if we know that the Grizzlies struggle shooting the three, or, or defending the three, and we know the Grizzlies struggle shooting free throws, the problem that we're seeing them run into right now for two straight months is when they face a good three-point shooting team, their struggles from the free throw line plus their ability to defend the three, they're intertwined. They impact each other. The Grizzlies don't have the capability of overcoming one or both of them separately because they're connected. With the other team shooting the three well, the Grizzlies are going to have to find a way to be able to keep up if they're not shooting the three well. And if the free throws aren't falling, it's hard to be able to win against a quality three-point shooting team. So that's what stands out from this four-game losing streak. It's not that it can't be overcome. The Grizzlies are going to be fine. It's not like they're, you know, not contenders. They can overcome these weaknesses. The Grizzlies do have... The the Grizzlies, if they stay put at the trade deadline, I'm telling you right now, they have the roster, especially because of their defensive potential. They have a roster that can win a championship. But the takeaway from this four-game losing streak and the fact that we saw what we're seeing now back in December, we've seen two straight months of the same thing play out. When the Grizzlies play quality three-point shooting teams, their two clear weaknesses basically become multiplied because they intertwine. And it's just a very, very hard obstacle for the Grizzlies to overcome. And the reason I also mention that is because without a doubt, the people who are watching this the closest, the people who are taking the much from this, the people that are breaking this down more than you know anybody that covers the team is the front office. They've seen this happen two months in a row. It's not been crystal clear. This is the most clear it's been, in my opinion, as to what this team needs to do to take itself to the next level. I think they're they're a true contender this year, but to truly be one of the clear-cut top three or five contenders in the NBA, the Grizzlies know exactly what they need to do to get to that point. Improve your three-point shoot, improve your three-point production, improve your free-throw shooting. This franchise recognizes that. Now, they made moves in the summer in getting some young talent that right now may not be impacting their ability to get better in those areas, but they hope that that young depth eventually does make them better in those areas. But for right now, when it comes to the free throw shooting, when it comes to the three-point production, it's hard to see with the current roster in place those things improving because they've been the clear weaknesses of this roster for years now. Can they overcome it? Sure. Is there one trade out there that allows for them to have a significantly better chance to be able to do that? Not necessarily. But my point that I'm getting at is, is that, yes, it's important to remain realistic and put in context that this is a four-game losing streak. At times it happens, and the Grizzlies will be just fine. But when you broaden your scope out and come to realize that the Grizzlies have basically seen the same scenario play out over the past two months, there's now more reason than ever for that those type of developments to start impacting roster decisions in the present and the future. And not only that, but impacting roster decisions that you make in the present 
having them impact the future. So certainly disappointing to see the losses occur as they are. Yes, the Grizzlies have ways that they could easily be able to overcome their struggles and still win games, and they likely will get back in the groove soon. But there are clear takeaways from this four-game winning streak, and, or losing streak, and especially when you broaden it out over the past two months. It's clear where the Grizzlies must improve and where they need to put their attention when it comes to continuing to evolve this roster. The big question is, does it happen sooner or later when it comes to the Grizzlies' front office? So here we are in the midst of the Grizzlies. In terms of a week, record-wise, having the worst week that they've had on the court in, in you know, nearly two years. And you're thinking to yourself, could it get any worse? Well, unfortunately, it can. Uh, because the other major news of the week concerned two veterans on the Grizzlies roster. The first, of course, was the unfortunate news that in the game last Sunday against the Phoenix Suns, Stephen Adams suffered a PCL sprain in his right knee. And because of that, he's now out for the next three to five weeks. The Grizzlies, you know, experiencing their first game with Adams being out likely for the next month, they experienced their first game without him on Wednesday night against Golden State. And his impact was certainly felt, right? Now, they were without him against Sacramento last Monday as well. But when I'm talking about them knowing that they're going to be without him for a month, they played their first game with that knowledge against Golden State. In the last two games that the Grizzlies have played without Steven Adams, it's impacted them when it comes to the boards. I'm here to tell you the loss of Steven Adams is massive. It absolutely is. But even with it being a big loss for this Grizzlies roster, time and time again, the Grizzlies have been able to overcome, you know, being without some of their best talents for an extended period of times. But when it comes to Steven Adams, it's a bit of a hit to this team's identity, right? As I mentioned, you know, during the regular season, a big source of success for this Grizzlies roster is being able to out-rebound, and get more possessions than their opponents. That's a lot of times how they're able to overcome not being as productive from three as the team that they're facing. Well, now that unfortunately is not as reliable of an option as it once was. So there actually could be a bit of a, at the very least, opportunity from Steven Adams' injury that I think is definitely relevant, that I think is definitely worth observing. The fact is, is that without their main source of offensive rebounding, without a player who clearly impacts the Grizzlies' ability, their go-to ability of winning games because they have more possessions than their opposition, that's going to force this team to have to become more reliable on taking advantage of the possessions that they have. That's what stands out about the loss of Steven Adams, is that with the Grizzlies losing their main source that allows for them to have significantly more possessions in most games than their opponents, without that advantage now with Steven Adams injured, that actually makes each possession the Grizzlies have more valuable because they have less of them. And for that reason, it becomes even more critical that the Grizzlies find 
the best shot possible as often as they can. So with more importance needed on shot selection, more importance needed on playing effective half-court offense, more importance needed on finding good shots from three, that could allow for this team to improve in an area that it needs to, which is shot selection and half-court offense. Now, much easier said than done. And don't get me wrong, the Grizzlies don't want to have to get better in those areas as a result of them losing Steven Adams. But it's kind of, the writing's kind of on the wall that they've got to be able to do that. If this team wants to continue winning at the pace that they're winning without Adams, they've got to find ways to get the most value out of a smaller amount of possessions. And that's getting better at shot selection, that's getting better at passing, taking care of the basketball, and the half-court offense. So make no mistake about it. If there's not a, it's not a good thing that Steven Adams is missing games, but there could be a bright side to this and that if the Grizzlies, because they're now more forced to have to play good half-court offense, to have to be more consistent at finding the best shot possible, if the Grizzlies can get more consistent in that area once Steven Adams comes back, they can be in a better place moving forward than they were when he was healthy before his injury. Again, this is, this is wishful thinking, perhaps. But there's no better time than now. With the fact that each possession now becomes more valuable than the Grizzlies, there's no better time than now for them to make the adjustments that they need to make to become more consistent at half-court offense, at being able to find the right shot, taking care of the basketball, and so on. But of course, Steven Adams was not the only veteran on the Grizzlies roster who made some news off the court this week is, is uh, Danny Green, longtime NBA veteran wing who the Grizzlies acquired with the draft pick that led to David Roddy. The Grizzlies acquired Danny Green and what eventually became David Roddy for DeAnthony Melton from the 76ers over the summer. It was announced earlier this week that Danny Green will make his season debut February 1st against the Trailblazers. And of course, with this announcement, it brings some excitement for the Grizzlies to be able to see what they potentially could have in Green. And make no mistake about it, if Green can come back and be anywhere close to what he's been at times for championship teams, he can be a significant addition to this Grizzlies roster. Because his three-point shooting, his intelligence, his IQ as a defender, even if he doesn't have the same physical tools that he did in the past, playing with a team concept defensively, Danny Green, especially with the fact that he's only going to be asked to feel like the ninth or tenth role in the rotation, he could add value instantly if he's fully healthy. There's no doubt about that. And with his shooting ability... And the fact that, unfortunately, that John Conchar just has not been able to have the consistent shooting stroke the Grizzly had hoped he would have this year, Danny Green could become that needed infusion of shooting that DeAnthony Melton obviously added at times when he was coming off the Grizzlies bench. I'm not saying that Danny Green's going to be as good as DeAnthony Melton, but in the shooting aspect of things, Danny Green certainly has the potential to add value when it comes to him being a shooter. But this development also is relevant with the fact that we are now two weeks away from the NBA trade deadline. And I'll be completely honest with you. I think that the Grizzlies have more incentive, more reason now 
than they've had since 2020 when they made their last deadline move. They have more logic supporting them going after some type of relevant upgrade to their roster this year than they've had before. And if the Grizzlies go make that relevant addition, it likely would involve Danny Green and his expiring contract as a way to get that deal done. So the reason why Danny Green coming back and being healthy and being in the rotation, the reason why that's significant is because we now kind of get a baseline of how much sense it makes for the Grizzlies to make a move. Because I could tell you this real quickly. If you were to look at the Grizzlies potentially trying to make a move for a Kyle Kuzma or a Gary Trent Jr., two players who are clearly going to be rentals before you're going to have to shell out 25 or so million dollars a year to retain them, I'm here to tell you right now, the Grizzlies likely don't see the value in trading what they would have to trade with Green just to get an upgrade for a few months that eventually may walk in the summer. So when we're using what Danny Green could offer as the baseline of comparing him being available to any potential upgrade in trades, I'm here to tell you right now, the Grizzlies probably are not going to find many opportunities for pure rentals that are going to make them pay the price to go from what they could have in green to whatever rental they potentially can go after. So in terms of Gary Trent Jr., in terms of Kyle Kuzma and others, may not necessarily make that much sense to go after that type of player who's a rental. But there is the potential to where if the Grizzlies could go get, at least in my mind, go get a talent that does have some good shooting ability, going to get a talent that they potentially can control beyond this year, that to me would open up the interest level in potentially making a move that involves Danny Green. And don't get me wrong, I know that Danny Green mentioned he would love to stay in Memphis for a few more years. That's great to hear. That is absolutely spectacular to hear. And then make no mistake about it, Danny Green has plenty of opportunities after basketball to where he's going to remain relevant in the NBA scene for decades to come. So having that type of talent, having that person type of personality around the Grizzlies, I don't see it being anything but positive. But that should not keep the Grizzlies from continuing their trend of using one move to lead to another to lead to another. And what I mean by that is this. Is that when you look at a Danny Green, but then you start to look at other names that are out there on the trade market, like potentially an Alec Burks or a Malik Beasley. Yes, Burks, Beasley, they may be more valuable than Green. But are they really that more valuable to where you want to give up something significant along with Green to go get them? Maybe not. But here's where those type of players, again, a Malik Beasley, um, a Alec Burks, there are a few others out there, where those players, that level of player, may be worth going to get compared to keeping Danny Green, is if you use Green to go get that type of player, you're able to add the shooting that you're looking to add to your roster, which would be a clear upgrade for your roster, but you're also adding it in the form of a player that you can control as an expiring contract in the next season. So the other added benefit 
of using green to potentially go after a player that you can control beyond this year is that that player helps out this season in terms of the needs of this roster, which would more than likely be shooting, but then you're also getting a tradable asset for the future. Instead of green's trade value being done at the end of this season if you wind up keeping him. So for that reason, I do think that if the Grizzlies want to consider an upgrade to the roster, it probably doesn't come in the form of them focusing on a rental. It probably comes in them focusing on a potential bench piece that they could, that could help out in the shooting area, but that the Grizzlies could also control beyond this year because not only do they get the needed shooting that they should infuse this roster with, but they also, once again, going into next year, have another tradable asset they could use in a potentially bigger deal to really go get a significant upgrade for this roster. But of course, when we mention the names to the level of a Alec Burks or a Malik Beasley, that may not necessarily excite a lot of folks, right? That, that That's not the significant contender, you know, that's not the type of trade that moves the needle, I guess you could say, when it comes to the Grizzlies' contention odds. And that's fair. I can certainly understand that. That type of move, to one degree, is for an OG Ananobi. To another degree, to another degree, is a Pascal Siakam, if those type of players were to be on the market. But I'm here to tell you right now, For the Grizzlies to go after that level of player, especially when you're going to see the price driven up because of how many teams will be interested in those players, it just does not in any way, shape, or form align with how the Grizzlies have operated under their front office over the past several years. Now, I just mentioned that there's reasons now that weren't there in the past for the front office to potentially change its focus, change its approach to really get this roster what it needs, but I don't think that results in a massive blockbuster for the Grizzlies at the trade deadline. Just to give you an example of what you potentially would have to pay to just get into the conversation of an OG and Nobi, you would have to obviously give up Green. You would have to give up one of Zaire or Santi Aldama. You would then have to probably give up the Golden State 24 first, and then either potentially one of the Grizzlies first over the next few years or Jake Laravia. So again, we're looking at a package of Danny Green, Zaire Williams or Santi Aldama, the Golden State first, and then either Jake Laravia or another first to potentially get into the conversation for OG and Anobi, at least right now. That price could go down as we get closer to the trade deadline. But you would be trading a lot of assets to just have one full season, though you'd have multiple playoff runs with OG and Nobody, to just have one full season of OG and Nobody. And I just don't see the Grizzlies making that type of move in season. I won't even get into what potential package you'll have to put together to start the talks on Pascal Siakam, because again, that that type of move for a Pascal Siakam would lead to a roster, a significant roster change that we know the Grizzlies have been against doing over the past several years. But when we talk about these trades, part of the fun is obviously 
looking at what names make sense. But the other part of it is, what's it going to cost to get them? And I can tell you this, with Zaire Williams, though again, I know he struggled against Golden State, with Zaire Williams improving his play as of late, with Santi Aldama being great in his role all season long, the better that those two players play, it doesn't mean that the more attractive they could become in a trade package to go get a clear significant upgrade for the roster, the better those two players play, the more unlikely it is that they're traded. And so if the Grizzlies are not going to really see a reason to give up a Santi Aldama or a Zaire Williams, they're likely not going to be in the conversation for any real big type of move at the trade deadline. And so when we talk about then an Alec Burks or you know a, a Malik Beasley, I can tell you this. The Grizzlies' first-round pick this season, if they could use that as a way to go get a player that clearly would be in the top seven or eight of this team 20 minutes a night and would clearly add value in the playoffs, going to get that type of player is probably going to be more valuable than holding on to another late round to, to, for, to another late first round pick. Though we know how much this front office loves their late first round picks. So I do think that the Grizzlies could certainly talk about a deal that would include what likely will be a late first once again in 2023. And I think that if you, you know, include that first with Danny Green, maybe another young, intriguing player, not to the level of Zaire and Santi. But if you put together a first plus Danny Green plus, you know, quote-unquote intriguing talent, that potentially could get you into the conversation for a Malik Beasley. I think Alex, Alec Burks is one of those situations where you see him last until the very end of the trade deadline, and at that point, Detroit will take whatever they can get to both get off his contract for next year, plus also get an asset for the future. So it makes sense for the Grizzlies to wait out any potential move that they would make. But don't get me wrong, there are clearly players out there who could really help out this team. If you look at a criteria that could make sense for the Grizzlies to go after to improve this team, looking at how many players in the NBA this year have hit 50 free throws, 50 threes, are shooting 40% from three, plus 80% from the line. There are many notable names of that group of 14 that could make sense for the Grizzlies to go after in a trade. Alec Burks, Bojan Bogdanovich... Probably more unlikely um, as a buddy healed. But then there's another name that's really, really intriguing if he truly was on the market, though I don't think that he is. And that's Patrick Williams. And that leads to another fun potential conversation, right? And what I mean by that is, is that another move that we could see the Grizzlies make is them potentially going to get a young player that has not really worked out where he has been, that they could bring into the fold that potentially could make a difference that the Grizzlies could control for multiple years. Now, we've seen them go get these type of former lottery picks to come into Memphis to hopefully work out. 
We've seen them do it with Josh Jackson. We've seen them do it with Justice Winslow. We've seen them do it um, with Jarrett Culver. None of those worked out. It's understandable. And it made more sense for the Grizzlies to do that in the past as they were trying to you know, build up their roster than it is for them to go after a, some type of reclamation project now when they're trying to contend for a title. But Patrick Williams is a player that both could blossom more in Memphis than he has in Chicago, but also help out. I don't think that Chicago is going to trade him. But if we're talking about alternatives to an OG Anobi or a Pascal Siakam, yes, there are going to be plenty of teams that would be interested in a Patrick Williams, but not many teams have the development track that the Grizzlies do. So if they can get Patrick Williams at a reasonable price, that may be a move worth making. Though again, I don't think that it's likely. If you're looking at a potential trade for, for an Alec Burks, you may trade uh, a Danny Green in a few seconds. Again, if you're looking for a Malik Beasy, it may be a, you know, a, a Danny Green, money filler, late first. And then, of course, one that's out there that also potentially makes sense, it fits the mold as a contract that the Grizzlies would be able to control actually for two more years. And it's a type of player that both makes the defense better and also can hit down shots. And that, of course, is Alex Caruso. Now, he's not the combo forward type ad that probably makes the most sense for this roster to target. Especially with the fact that Jaw and Dez are going to, you know, they're going to be playing many, many minutes in the most important games. But Alex Caruso, with the quality that he offers on both ends of the court, he definitely could be a target for this Grizzlies team as well if the Bulls were to make him available. And if they go get an Alex Caruso, let's be honest, it's them going to replace what they had or what they had hoped that they would have at times in DeAnthony Melton. And it's also them going to get Alex Caruso an admission that maybe John Conchar doesn't fill the Melton role. But my point is when it comes to the Grizzlies, I still think I still think that it, with Steven Adams being out, I could see there being a higher percentage chance of a move being made this year than there has been in previous years. But I still put it at maybe 35% that a move is actually made. Especially if this is a market where it's a seller's market, where because there's so many teams out there that still feel they're in contention, you just don't have that many notable names to go after. The Grizzlies don't need to overpay for the level of talent that's likely going to be out there, even if it is an OGN Nobi. So I do think that at the end of the day, the more than likely scenario is the Grizzlies stand pat. But I also do think that there are some relevant names that the Grizzlies could make a move on, and it could continue their trend of using one move to support making another move that can allow for the Grizzlies to continue to find benefit as time goes on especially if they can find a shooting talent that can help them now, but also is in control beyond this year that could potentially either continue to help this roster or become a tradable asset as time goes on. So just a few thoughts when it comes to the Grizzlies and the trade deadline. Maybe nothing happens. And if it doesn't happen, the, I understand that, that, that many may be disappointed, but at the end of the day, if nothing happens... We simply stick with what has consistently got the job done up to this point. And that's an exciting position to be in. 
We'll see what happens. It's been an absolute pleasure being back with you here on this edition of GBB Live. Parker Fleming will be back in the near future. But, of course, you can find GBB Live, Grizzly Bear, Be- Grizzly Bear Bets, the Core 4 Podcast, the Next Gen Podcast, as well as the Starting 5 Podcast, all at grizzlybearblues.com, at SBN Grizzlies, across all forms of social media, and free on all podcast platforms. My name's Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSAC on Twitter. Again, pleasure being with you once again. Go Grizzlies. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. <laughs>